This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities, and all over the world. Welcome back to the podcast, and thank you for coming back for another season. Our partner for this season of Company is Lidner Quality Socks, an artisan sock making enterprise that's into its 10th generation of business. Lidner Socks story began way over the other side of the world in Germany, but they now hail from Crookwall in the New South Wales Southern Tablelands and are just about half an hour up the road from my home. When I think about my podcast and my newsletter and about winter and being cosy, I really couldn't think of anybody better to partner with than these guys. So I cannot wait for you to get to know them more today because I think their story is amazing. And it is a story better told through the eyes of multiple family members spanning those generations. Today you're going to meet Andrew Lidner and his wife Lucy. Andrew's at the head of the business, and when I met him, he was running the socked factory machines, as he does most days. Lucy is his wife and the mother to their children. She dips in and out of the factory, managing some of the day-to-day operations, as well as new projects, as well as family life. We all know the drill. And we're going to meet Gisela today. Gisela is Andrew's mother. She still works in the business with Andrew too, and is responsible for shepherding her children and the business from Germany all the way to Australia alongside Andrew's father. This is their story. So we are in a little sock factory in Crookwell. I am a 10th generation sock maker, apparently. So my wife has found out through her research but yes, I think it's six Lindner fathers and then it goes off to a whole heap of different maternal lines into the 1730s. Amazing. A little sock factory with really big family roots. How did you ever uh, come to be here? Because it all started in Germany, didn't it? That's right. Yeah. Dad got us out here in 1987, started in Goulburn and then ended up in Crookwell. We've been here since 1997. Which alpaca comes from Yas. We're just running out of everything in a moment. It's the supply, it's the. Oh, it is so wonderful. Gosh, it's so beautiful. Okay, okay. I'm Gisela Lindner, part owner with my wonderful son Andrew. It's still amazing when I think back and how many times we talk about and say, is it real? We achieved so much. Tell me a little bit about what it was like when you did first arrive in Australia. I think we was in a way a bit of some of the lucky ones. It was sort of uh, advertised business migration from the Australian Embassy and that's how we had a step in to the country. Goldburn came up a bit good for a business. Freight companies, suppliers, uh, you're not in the biggest place but still good for business and Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne connection with whatever you need on uh, yeah, suppliers and things like that. 
and I think it started like a bit of snowball. Then children have to go to school. After a couple months, we arrived, and you're pretty nervous. Oh my goodness, English kids can't talk. No, could, could you speak English? A little bit school English, but it definitely wasn't Aussie like. My goodness me, what's a copper and come in the Arvo and do this and do that. I said, I don't know. Get a cap, what's a cap? I had no idea. But after a while, you, most I learned with my children when they started school. The two children was in the same class kindergarten when they started it. After a couple of months, they said, Andrew can already jump up to the year one. And the kids, my goodness me, they was just speaking English and it just, you couldn't believe it, how it worked. Mm. Yeah, you will see lots in here. Yeah, it was certainly not a pretty nice story. Mm. Um, yes, you can imagine pulling part of a family out of a, a larger circle. Um, kids and wives and grandparents and saying, right, you're going to pull roots out of the ground and move not just down the road a bit, but to the other end of the, the planet. Um, certainly wasn't easy. Then you also had your logistics of now talking with governments, business migration. There had to be monies, proof of business, English, which did not exist. Um, Dad did a little bit of English, but when you turn up to Goulburn and go to a pub, that was not English, that was Aussie slang. So, Lots and lots of um, challenges. Mm. Yeah. They done uh, with silver fleas in South Australia. We just desperate looking for someone. What was that like as a mother having to? I mean, I'm sure you were so nervous and yes. so worried. Still, and you had no support network. Yes. Still, on the beginning, you come, you say, "Well, where do you start?" You know. We, we bought a home as well in Goulburn, which was, I think, my most important thing to have a home for my children and then start the business from nothing. No customer, no supplier, the machines, husband had to find another mechanics. And then where you get the wool from, where you get cotton from, I had to do and done everything from the beginning on, office, overlocking socks, anything production to start with. In Germany, I did not work ever in the factory because there was 50 women and staff. I just had time for my children yes. and husband didn't want me really in the business because it was the two brothers. The women sort of stayed out a little bit, except my mother-in-law, she was definitely still there. Tell me a bit about her. I understand that yeah. the women have played a really big part yes. in yes. this story. She, uh, she was still very strong in the business when I met her. Uh, husband passed away before and there was two sons, but she always was there right in the middle to support the son, still with still decisions sometimes to make. And even when she say, look, I step back a little bit, but she still was there. She had a beautiful still shop. That was her little area to sell things every day. 
Just to sell socks or yes, other things. Yes, socks yeah. and a few other little textile things, mm. yeah. But she always was sitting in a corner in the office, in the back, you know, she was always there. And if a son sometimes said, oh, mom, you know, what do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, and it was, how would you explain it, uh, a comfort. She was still always around and there to like she always was, you know. Mm. And uh, yeah, for customers and she didn't do phone calls or office, but uh, she was quite a very, very strong lady, very delicate, very small lady, but uh, yeah, and I was always amazed and I thought she went through a lot from her, when she went back in the history going through the Second World War, had to take kids to America, husband had to stay on, another child was on the way which was my husband and you think, can you believe to go through all that and go on a ship for months on a ship or weeks to America and then be there, live there, also work and help other people again in other sock factories because there was more Germans already. Mm -hmm. They migrated a lot to America at that time. When you, like it's, it's just so amazing. Mm -hmm. um, this story in Australia yes. is so amazing. People in Australia haven't lived through yep. generation, 10 generations yes, of, that's right. of um, mm. war and depression. Mm. And, mm. and then Chernobyl. What are your memories of Chernobyl? Yes, we, my boys was only three years old. And I think that was to trigger a few things with my husband when he said, look, I th we had absolute everything in Germany, whatever you can name it, but husband was concerned about a bit the future and Europe, too many borders, too many people. Australia, I think, would be a good country. First, my heart was broken. I said, I don't want to go. I, I'm an only child, my parents, family. Anyway, and I said, okay, let's do it. I maybe give my boys a good future and you do anything, everything still I do it today for my children. What do you remember of Chernobyl? Do you remember that? Yeah, so um, it rained and we were not allowed to go outside and play for a week and certainly weren't going to eat your vegetables after that incident, which is really strange as a kid being told you weren't allowed to go outside. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And I suppose you just thought it was life, but it was this incredible anomaly. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose only as you get older, you sort of comprehend what it was. But as a kid, yeah, no idea. It was huge. <laughs> I just can't imagine To it. give everything up. Oh. Then you had a bit thoughts. Oh, do you, will you maybe go back again one day? You don't know. But then when you even start a business or bring, you just can't come and go like, and you have children and you know. Are you happy to be here now? I'm very happy. I couldn't be happier. Yes, I still have family. I still have a mother in Germany. Love them, love to go home. But I would not ever go back and live in Germany. This is my home. Uh, yeah. It's pretty good. 
So for Dad, he didn't want to be in a big city. Uh, still liked the, the thought of rural and having a few acres to raise the family and have your own veggies and things. But Goulburn was actually still a wool area, a merino area, which still had a wool scour. They had the spinning plant. So for him to be able to duck across town and buy the wool ready to knit some woolly socks, um, it was a yeah, sort of a no-brainer. Yeah, so tell me about how wool is used in, in your product. Has it always been the case that Lindner socks were made of wool? No, I think in Germany, it was more of a luxury. Um, you'd have to import, certainly not like over here where wool is everywhere and wool was actually the good stuff. Mm. So more cotton synthetic in Germany, um, which is a similar thought when he came. He thought, Australia, it's hot, bushfires, snakes, they need thin cotton socks. Um, but it turns out in a golden winter when the tradies were working on a cement floor, they froze and they said, can you make us some thick woolly socks? So that sort of actually took off for him and um, they ended up calling these things the concrete socks. It, it kept them warm whilst they were working outside and, and on a cement floor. Do they still exist today? They do. What yeah. are they called, the concrete socks still? Yeah, so actually customers maybe from 20 years ago, 15 years ago from Goulburn will say, oh, we're just coming out to get some more concrete socks. And some of the new stuff like, what? But yes, we've, we've actually now called a Max sock. Um, quite a lot of our products we have now named after family members of, of the long, big family tree. Mm. Yeah. Why do you do that? And tell me who's in it, who gets the cut, who's made the <laughs> cut? <laughs> so I think as a smaller family business, connections, um, customer connections, social and community, um, and even the link between the farmer, the wall, the sock machine, the operator, the people that are finishing them. If customers can form connections with products and people, the product is different, the brand evolves. Um, it, it sort of starts to become its own thing. Whereas if we are just a factory, um, we would have to start competing on price and we can't do that. Yeah, because it's such a unique product and it's handmade, takes time. Takes time, yeah. Yeah. So tell me some of the ranges of the socks that you've got. So I suppose we, we overall have a thin business type of sock and then in, an intermediate thickness that will fit riding boots and sneakers and then really thick ones with cushion or terry toweling inside. Um, so then you vary those with different types of wool combinations, different microns for strength or for softness. We do a little bit now for diabetics or people with circulation problems, so loose top, but we actually find that the, the old school way of knitting, we don't really need elastic. So we're really looking at using the natural fibres and the natural yarns and say, well, do we really need synthetics? So product involvement is, is always happening. And how does that meld in with your care for the environment and your passion for the environment? Yes, yeah, so I think as we're, we're getting a bit older and we have a lot of information at our fingertips, we're starting to ask a lot of questions. And in a nutshell, I suppose, we can now make a decision to say that 
the, the merino, the wool basically comes out of the dirt, out of the grass, takes on carbon out of the atmosphere. If we don't mess with it too much, we can actually create a natural product which you can flog to death and put back into the soil. So now we look at the whole supply chain. And the more questions you ask, the more questions arise. Um, but we're finding that the, the, the consumers are now changing, questions are changing, and I think we're getting away from, we can have what we want, when we want, cheaply, and don't worry about the consequences. Tell me about where you, where you get your wool from. Is that something, where do you source it from? Does it come locally? Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one. I mean, primarily it is Australian merino wool. We've now got a few groups where we know where the farm is on the southern tablelands or going out towards the Burrawa Yass area. We're finding more and more farmers that are, are really going down that path of regenerative or sustainable practices. And we're finding that the quality of the, the raw material is actually becoming the easy part. It's now getting it to the scouring, the processing, the spinning and the dyeing that we and also everyone else in this, the industry is running into some hurdles. The, the, the consumer questions is now much more about transparency and traceability and we're now really, really trying hard to, to see where we can do full processes without having to leave the country. So over the years, a lot of the scouring and spinning has been shut down. It was inefficient or it was too expensive or we didn't really care as much about local jobs. Um, so a lot of this industry has been forced offshore. Um, New Zealand is still doing a fair amount of good work. So we're still working with those guys a lot. Um, but now, well, I suppose with COVID, a lot of questions have been asked about how reliant we are on overseas, how we could actually be creating our own and value adding and creating jobs over here. So there seem to be a few little door openings now where we might even be able to really start refining our paddock to plate, paddock to product. Paddock to foot. Paddock to foot. That's so exciting. Do you, yeah, is that one of your hopes for the future that you can do the full circle locally? Yeah, and, and I'm stubborn enough for that. Um, it's not really will I get it, it's when. And I think we're finding that there's enough people now in the industry, they've been asking the same questions. And I think we're finding now that working as a group, we might all actually achieve a win-win. Um, and we can all create value and, and a beautiful product here as a group and then send it to the world rather than work against each other or, or be concerned that one is going to outdo the other. Mm. What drives what drives you? It's You say you're stubborn and you can definitely hear that you're um, so in touch with what you're doing. I wonder, being 10th generation of your uh, farm and of, of your family, not of your farm, <laughs> of your family, how that feels to you. It, it must be immense pressure, but also something so powerful in the product that you can sell and the story. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, there's, there's many different layers of it. Going for a trip 
back to Germany, looking at houses and factories that grandparents, great-grandparents, or even some of those families before that um, had, when they say a factory of one machine or five machines, they had to get the horse and sled to bring the coal to heat or to power these things. Um, to have a border 50 or 100 k's away from Germany and have a different country coming with guns, wars and depressions. And these people really had it hard. So, I mean, quite honestly today, yes, we have our challenges, um, but we haven't got any of that threat. So I think for us now, it's, if we're doing quite well, we can actually help other people and we can do some good things. So I think that drives us. What do you mean by that? Well, in, in, in business, quite often it's a, it seems to be that you, you, you make stuff and you sell stuff and you need to be profitable. We are driven by shareholder profits. Um, but I think we forget the communities. We forget the people that may or may not have a job. And I think our values have gone a little bit too far towards the money side not actually can mum be at home with the kids, can dad have a day off and be with the kids? Can we go and plant some trees? Does the farmer need to drive the land so hard so that when a drought arrives they're not quite prepared? So I think we can rebalance the, the, the circle of, of getting these raw materials right the way through. Everyone that does something to get to the end product um, but then finally use that end product and put something back to keep things going. When you think back through all that you've been through, were you ever going to be doing anything different? Were you ever going to not be making socks? Yeah, I think as a kid, there was no way. Dad and I had plenty of arguments and certainly as a family expectation of, oh, well, your dad did it, your grandparents. Um, most of us run the other way. Um, but then through, through certain things, um, financial hardships or divorces or things that turn up, um, sometimes you don't have as much choice and you do what you do. Um, and as a young person, I don't think you often fully understand why you do things. But as you get older and you question more, sometimes I suppose you're lucky enough to realise that, hey, there is a purpose or there is a passion or you do find something that drives you. And when you finally do, it's a bit of a, right, now let's get on with it and see what we can do. Yes, and it's still not ending. We still have a lot of ideas and what you want to do in the future, especially Andrew and Lucy because I maybe will stay on forever, you know, but still will be here as long I feel and can and, and help. Hi Sky, welcome to Lindner Socks. Nice to have you here in our factory in Crookwell. Um, I'm Lucy Lindner. Um, this is, yeah, this is our family business. I married a sock maker. It's certainly not a traditional kind of factory in the sense it's you know we're we're on the main street here, um, 
the machines are a bit of a wonder to look at themselves. They're sort of a vintage, vintage machine with that old green industrial metal going on. And uh, yeah, it's nice. We, we're glad you like the vibe. As far as socks and sock manufacturers or, or textile manufacturing, it, it is a bit of a, a challenging one that once you get away from hand knitting a pair towards manufacturing and becoming a, a textiles business, um, it, it's a balance between numbers and costs and efficiencies or doing things the old fashioned way. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose most factories have moved on, whereas we've remained a little bit small, um, stayed with old machinery, stayed with the, the more hands-on thing, but we have partly picked up the, the tourism side a bit, where people are coming for an experience, and they, I suppose, they, they just love socks. Lately, it's... Uh, my role has probably more evolved into um, looking into some projects that are, you know, not not really a part of the day-to-day fitting -day in. But that's what's so lovely about having a family business atmosphere is it's, you know, we, we try and make it a family-friendly kind of place. You know, it works for us, but also we hope it works for our staff. And, um, you know, some days the kids will be in here after school and watch a bit of something on the screen or do some colouring in and, you know, from time to time they're learning how to do some of the processes in the socks. Yeah. Oh, how beautiful. Thanks. So this is such a huge family operation with a history that just goes back so far. How did you and Andrew meet? So we were on our family property for the first Christmas and had all of the extended family there and then, uh, um, so this was a few weeks later. Um, there was a fire on the property next door and we spotted the smoke. It was Christmas Day, just about 11 o'clock. So mm. called the fire brigade in and there was Andy driving one of the trucks. And so I thought he looked a bit cute. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love that. Of course, just about to sit down for Christmas lunch. Always yep. impeccably timed those fires. Absolutely. Was everything okay? Everything was fine. It, it burned a few hectares, but... Um, one of the one of the group captains in the area um, quickly got the fire uh, the um, airplanes onto it, mm. thinking we're not going to mess around with this one on Christmas Day. Yeah. So, but you didn't. Are you a country girl originally? No, no I grew up? up in the city, um, in Sydney, um, and where I grew up, it was it was very much sort of on the edge of the bush, just near Karingai Chase. Mm. National Park and so I always had a little bit of a passion for you know the bush and nature and and that sort of thing and um, and we also had um, these family friends up in um, Walker in the New England and they had a property and we'd often go visiting there as I got a little bit older um, I ended up um, buying a horse and keeping it up there um, our family friend up there looked after it for me and I would hop on the train um, and go up there to visit them for a week and yeah it was it was a beautiful experience so I was always wanting to live in the country. So tell me about your first impressions of Lindner Socks and this family business as someone completely new. Yeah right. With fresh eyes. Great question because I um, having been studying in Canberra and traveling to Sydney I'd often drive the highway and you know see the sign to Crookwall 
and wonder about it. And then it wasn't until mum and dad bought the property that um, I actually drove through the town and the first time I drove through the town, I saw this sign up for a sock factory and shop. I was like, it was after hours and I thought, wow, I have to check that out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my first impression. Um, I reckon lots of people have done that. Yeah, yes, it's, it's it's really unique. It's yeah. a funny thing to find, isn't it? It's yeah. it it feels like a real discovery. Um, and so when I first came in here, it was it was very much more um, a wholesale focus um, back then, and it was certainly rustic, but it was amazing. And the machines, you know, they were exactly the same, and the socks were exactly the same, and with a few differences. <laughs> when you walk in the door now, what what do you want it to feel like? Ah, oh, that's a really interesting question too because I think when you work or live in a place, you often only see the things that aren't done. Um, so having been here for a long time, uh, of course we see the list of things that we'd love to improve on. Um, but I always try and have in my mind that first impression. And when Andrew and Giesler first took over, that was, that was one of the things we did was to just open up the shop a little bit and just make sure that, you know, the socks could be seen and, you know, be in all their glory. Um, but yeah, I think, I think sometimes it's easy to want everything to just look just so, but sometimes you might miss out on some of the charm that um, is attractive to people as well. So I, I try and balance that with, you know, you want to tidy things up, you want to make things um, a little more perfect. Um, but you, yeah, I just try and, we try and keep in mind that there's something unique about walking into a place that is is genuine and, you know, it's a workplace, it's a, factory yeah yeah and it's pretty cool I, I I think it's really cool what's it like what's the traffic like like I think it's just been constant since I've been here which really is so wonderful yeah um we have become a little bit of a tourist destination definitely that was a bit of a natural evolution um the sock shop sort of had a real word of mouth following from you know even before they were in Crookwall and there were some absolute devotees. And now, I guess being on the main street and having the machines running, people are really intrigued and it's not something they give an awful lot of thought to. So um, it's a real surprise for them. What's happened to this business in COVID? It was really scary at first, of course, as it was for everybody. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Um, but then there was just this explosion of support for Australian-made products, for local businesses, for small businesses. And I feel like it was um, it was almost the same sentiment that drove buy from the bush campaign and the and the bushfire support for communities affected by that sentiment carried forward. I think, and you know, people who were at home and um, you know not able to be at work started using their consumer power to to try and do something to help people that they thought might be doing it tough. And you know, we certainly did the same. There were hospitality businesses here that were attempting to pivot so you know you'd make sure you got your takeaway meal every now and then just to Mm. try and keep things ticking over for them so yeah it's one of the things I love about when Australia rises to something they do it beautifully Mm. yeah that's such a nice thing to say you guys have been in my feed a lot lately um, and that's due to the exciting stuff that you're doing with buy from the bush how did that come about 
Well, with the um, increased online traffic, um, there's so many facets that before COVID, you know, we'd never know which one to try and work on first. COVID happened and all of a sudden we had to go digital. It's the only thing we can do anything with. And then as our online sales grew with that support from the Australian community and more more digital presence, um, we were able to put on some more staff and we have put on this amazing person um, who is now managing our social media and marketing and she's doing a brilliant job. And so shortly after she um, signed us up to the Buy From The Bush um, marketing platform, marketplace I should say, sorry, um, she contacted the team there at Buy From The Bush with a proposal to do a, um, an exclusive range of colours um, in our Weo hand-dyed style. And so that was taken up and at the time as well, um, the team at Buy From The Bush were looking at um, doing sort of small video vignettes of various businesses. And so it was just a beautiful collaboration. It was great support. And also we were able to make a donation um, from every sale of those socks on the Marketplace platform to Drought Angels who have been doing such amazing work. So as this business continues to evolve and modernise and things, are you looking to do things any, any differently? We always want to remain true to our heritage. The vintage machines are an absolute fascination and a point of difference and they make a beautiful sock. So we never want to move away from them. There is potential for looking at other, other ways to expand what we do. We certainly want to make a few improvements to our physical space and the, and grow the tourism side as well. Yeah, got some sort of interesting collaborations um, in the works, so that should be good. And we might, you know, if, look at expanding our retail offering, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. So exciting. Thank you. You mentioned that you want to stay true to your heritage. <laughs> what are the values of the business? Just in a business operations sense, we value um, honesty and reliability and um, and accountability. We never want to be the sort of business that passes the buck or um, you know hides from hides from mistakes or anything like that. Very much personally, um, Andrew and I care deeply for um, environmental sustainability causes. So we bring that to the business as well. We try and make all of our decisions for the future centred around those sorts of um, values. Um, We also value balance. We never want um, this business to dominate in such a way that we can't have the sort of family balance that we want. Um, And the same for our staff. We want them to have that as well, you know. Um, We think that's really important. We're fortunate that you know, we're, we're all together in the morning, Andrew's home for dinner every night, you know, there's time with the kids, the kids are involved. Um, we quite possibly talk about work a little bit too much at home. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a tricky one to evolve. We've got to set some boundaries there. But I'd say those are sort of the core values. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> we haven't even really spoken about the socks, even though we're talking about the socks all the time. <laughs> but... What are your, which, which ones are your favourites and, or your top three? Gosh, it must be like choosing a favourite child. <laughs> yeah, look, for me, 
one of my favourites is, and probably because I've been, they've been with me the longest, mm-hmm. is, um, is our Max socks. They're just an absolute workhorse and um, they're comfy and they're durable. They're thick and cushioned. Describe them to me. So they're a, they're a terry knit sock um, made from a 22.5 micron merino wool yarn um, with some nylon to, you know, they give them the strength and the longevity. Um, I've certainly got pairs that, <laughs> actually, Andrew and I had um, for our, I can never get this word right, is it bonbonniere? Oh, our, yes. At our wedding. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> our wedding gifts uh, yeah. to our guests. Um, we had um, a pair of socks. Of course and you did. <laughs> in, a, in a unique colour. And so we've been married eight years now. Is it eight? Seven. Eight years now. And those ones are still going. Um, so that's good. So, um, what colour were they? That's really cool. They were. Our Max socks have a um, have four strands of, of wool and yarn going into them. So it's a flecked colour with mm. cream and grey and red. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a nice comes out, comes out as a sort of a pinky colour. Yeah. What's your favourite one? Oh, it's maybe the season in winter because I'm a really outdoor person. I'm out whenever I can. It's my nice big boots and my thick socks that sort of makes a Roslin we maybe show you the nice thick chunky ones. And if, if it's not as cold, I wear different boots. Then I have my lighter socks, my autos, and if it's summer, because I'm a terrible person, I nearly wear socks all year around, then I wear my finer ones in finer shoes, and I never hardly go barefoot. I don't know why, where it's coming from, but I always need socks. Perhaps the fact that you're true. the 11th generation yes, of a sock-making family. It is, just love to wear, put my socks on. It's the first thing in the morning. Get up and put socks on. Talk me through the anatomy of a sock and how much thought goes into that for you. We take it for granted. <laughs> yeah, such a simple little thing. But primarily for us and for the customer, you are trying to construct this woolly tube thing that does not move. We want to try and get the heel right. We don't want it to itch. We don't want to add too many materials that will cause your feet to sweat but we need it to last we don't want it to peel so there's all these little ingredients between costs and it's got to cover all of those um, let's say issues that people have with their socks so going from that simple product to a sock that actually stays hugging your foot that doesn't clamp onto your leg and it doesn't sweat and it doesn't shrink and it doesn't itch. Um, Yeah, it's a lifetime mission. Really? Even after having 10 generations of sock making in your family, you're still trying to improve it and get it? Yeah. I don't think you'd ever finish. Um, We're seeing, even with farmers now, the the years that go into breeding, the, the microns the, the, the way that the, the land is managed, that already affects what goes into our product. 
Um, we sometimes cheat with, with synthetics or with plastics or with chemicals. It's a bit cheaper, it's a bit quicker, it's a bit easier, but we end up with side effects on the other end once we're finished using the product. Um, so as, as computer technologies and, and innovations take off, um, I think things will happen down the track where we might not have even dreamt of. So it's, it's good for us to, I think, keep saying that we will continue to improve even if we don't believe it. Mm. This is a very left field question, but I've just got me thinking about what kind of socks I'm wearing today and they're totally not wool and I've got cold feet. <laughs> um, do you, what's your belief about wearing socks inside the home? Should, you, should a good sock be able to like, replace the shoe in a home? Yeah, well, I do it all the time. Yeah. We're, we're pretty classic. We have chickens running around outside, so your boots will end up with chook poo. So they're kicked off outside and we naturally run around the house with socks. Um, but I mean, certainly a wooden floor and carpets and cement floors, they will eat your socks and pull them to pieces and kill them a bit quicker. But that's all right for me because I'll just make another pair. <laughs> Andrew, what's the thing that makes you most proud of all of the things that you and your family have done? Oh, look, there's, there, there's heaps. But I think when you have people call into Crookwell or people from Crookwell have gone on a world trip and they said they've run into other people on the other side of the globe and they have a conversation and they say, where are you from? And they talk of Crookwell and complete strangers say, oh yeah, we've been to the factory or we bought those Crookwell socks for the people in Crookwell um, to, to say that sort of a thing and go, you know, we're, we're proud of, people have been ranting and raving, even other parts of the planet. Um, that's a pretty cool little thing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for taking all of this time to lead me through your business, to show me around and tell me your story. No worries, it's a pleasure. You could write a book about the experiences of the Lidner family, all really fascinating stuff. Thank you so much, Lydna, for warmly welcoming the podcast and the Company on Sunday newsletter into this series sponsorship. I hope that this interview has made you think differently about your socks. You can find these guys at lidnasocks.com.au or by the same name on Instagram. I have heaps of pairs of their socks and let me tell you, they never disappoint on any occasion. And also my present drawer is full of them too. I'll be back with you next week, but if you are new to the Manson and Company crowd, hello. And uh, I just wanted to let you know that I have a newsletter that's delivered to you early each Sunday morning, and it's full of interesting reads, podcasts, and Instagram accounts, and it's designed to be read in bed or on the couch while taking a moment to get cozy and relax. You can sign up at mansonandcompany.com.